Jessica from Startup Sack with another episode of our Founder AMAs to share with you. Tuesday night, we held our most recent Startup Sack Happy Hour in collaboration with Founder Institute Sacramento, and our guest entrepreneur was Founder Institute alum Christopher Francisco, founder and CEO of Evolute, a Bay Area startup with an eight-figure valuation. Christopher has innovated cloud computing, big data, and storage architectures in some of the world's most admired tech companies, and he had a wealth of knowledge to share with our audience. We pick up the episode with Founder Institute Sacramento Managing Director Mariah Lickconcern introducing Christopher. Take a listen. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to one of our graduates, like myself, but he's just like, <laughs> and that is Christopher Francisco, who did come all the way from the Bay. Now his company has like done amazing things. They have clients like IBM and. Chevron, and uh, now you guys were just evaluated at how much? If you can share. Okay. All right. All right. So Christopher, why don't you come on up and tell us more about Evolute, your company? Everybody, come in close. Um, so. Maybe Chris first day. I'll grab a chair in a second. So, guys, I want to thank you first for coming out because uh, I'm very passionate about what the Founder Institute is doing. And as a graduate myself, um, I can say that it's been a phenomenal use for me. So just a little bit of background. I actually came to the Bay Area first uh, to lead cloud architecture at Apple. I, uh, I was part of their black projects. I was creating new technologies and made one of the largest data infrastructure changes um, that the company has seen in the past 10 years. Entered the Founder Institute with people like Adeo Resi, and thank you, Mariah, people, great people like Mariah. I was able to figure out what my true north was for being a, a founder. And so, um, as she's talked about, I've been able to not only close uh, over a quarter million uh, contracts here recently, but uh, just over the last two weeks, we've actually uh, began to get into a level of $2 million contracts uh, with our company. So that's why uh, TechCrunch, eWeek, Silicon Angle, SDX Central uh, have covered us. We've reached over 282,000 people uh, in the past two weeks. And it's because I always know how to build my company as I go. And that came from the Founders too. So what I really want to, to do today is to continue to inspire the next generation of founders. Um, obviously, my company, uh, we're a cloud computing startup. It's, it's as important as it is. Uh, we enable those Fortune 500 IT companies to scale in the cloud like the Apples and the Googles. Um, but, you know, everybody has a vision. Everybody has an idea. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, while this may seem like a, a really great thing, if you are passionate about what you're bringing to the table, you can make the same level of impact in your ecosystem. So as we talk today, um, my heart is for those future founders. If you're looking or you're interested in other things, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. But again, um, you're going to hear me talk a lot about product, team, traction, and investment. These are uh, four key pillars for uh, what it is to drive forward innovation. And again, I just want to, I want to, to hear your greatest thoughts. I want to hear your greatest concerns. And, and hopefully, um, I can provide further insight. And so um, if that's enough of an introduction, that's a little bit about me. And i um, looking forward to, to learning about you guys. Okay, who's got the first question? I have a question. Have you published something that's 
sort of a summary of what we're going to be talking about tonight, or similar to? So I'm not. So I was told this is an ask me anything. Okay. So I'm happy to. I have personal philosophies that I believe will change your your mind and views, um, but I'm, I'm actually not leading with a topic. So you guys are the topic today. You guys have. Uh, the questions, and I'm going to bring value to that. Total AMA, ask him anything about entrepreneurship, startup founding. I have a question. What is one thing that you, you've learned up until today uh, that you would tell yourself when you started what you should do, what step you should take to serve? You know, one thing that I've been reflecting on a lot is um, stick to your vision. A lot of times people will go out and they'll They'll learn. They'll, they'll see Silicon Valley episodes. They'll they'll look at you know, well, what it is to pivot, right? And you're always thinking about, well, I'm willing to change my idea if that brings me success. And I've been a bit stubborn in this area, but the times, the quarters that I've I've actually uh, you know moved into a little bit of a different direction. While I did it in a way that brought me value, um, and just to, just to give another um, idea, <clears throat> you know. Um, Google Ventures, uh, Chevron Tech Ventures, which has committed, we're, we're currently slated to be uh, anywhere from, uh, in the next three months, a uh, 10 to $30 million company. Um, and so, although we've already, actually, our latest investment brings us actually to eight figures. Where's Mariah? I'm looking for you. So we are now an eight-figure uh, eight valuated company. Um, but the point being is that as you go down that path, right, you, you're always going to want to ebb and flow, but you have to stick to your to your vision and here's the thing the way that you achieve that capability it's going to change the way that you get to your destination is going to change but but what your destination actually is you have to do the things to validate that and and do the things to to make that happen so i think what i would tell myself is um is stick to it Yes. So, so let me, get, he asked, do you think your team is more important than your vision? And the reason I said yes, you know, I, I just brought on uh, the executive vice president of Momentum Design. If you understand, uh, IDO, uh, one of the top design firms, they respect these guys for enterprise software. I just brought on their executive vice president, so I'm very proud of that. Um, but I've worked on that guy for three years. <laughs> I worked on that guy for the moment I started. Uh, the past chief technology officer at Citrix, founding members from IBM's x86 line, the founder of Puppet, who's raised $83 million, the founder of Chef, all of these guys are on my board. And so I talk a lot about how equity is so important, and quite frankly, half of these guys have said that they want to work for me. And, and so half the time, I am working on just building a great team. If I can build a great team, I think anything's possible. So yes. Um, I, you mentioned Google Cloud Computing, mm -hmm. so that's a, there's a lot of competition in that space. There is. So perhaps, I guess, you know, in the sense of founders, how do you how do you stick with your vision of like you know finding your niche or or, or, or maybe there's a niche and just I don't know. Can you describe how how you were able to overcome the fear of like you know? Yeah, that's the a, that's a big, <laughs> big guys, right? You know, um, I want to say. Um, that's a, that's a really tough question. And the reason it's tough is because it doesn't translate everywhere, right? Um, so in any market, you're going to experience a lot of competition. And by the way, what I've done with my company is it's, it's counterculture, right? The idea that you would create a startup, as one of my investors put it, 
Christopher, startups create small companies, or small impacts for small companies. You're creating a big impact for a big company. And so I had to change the way that I, I create customer traction and revenue, right? Um, I had to do big contracts with big companies. And so the way that I did that was partnering with their innovation firms um, who would put forth capital uh, to see things that they didn't think were possible happen. Um, so in, in my market, for me, it's because I've been able to create capabilities with my team um, that the market just hasn't been able to do. So to give a little bit of context, um, currently there's a new technology. It's called containerization. Who's heard of virtualization? All right, some of my tech guys. Um, imagine, who's, who's heard of, of Linux? Who's heard of Windows? All right, I should, I should see all hands. All right. <laughs> so the idea of running one operating system on a single piece of physical hardware, or I should say 30 operating systems on a single piece of physical, physical hardware, has saved companies about, can save companies about 4.1 mil in the first year, right? If you're talking about an average of 500 systems, we're doubling that capability. And so one of the capabilities that I've created is the ability to, to double that impact. So uh, the point being is that through being able to, so most companies are taking 10 years to get to this, to this new technology. Um, we've been able to show them that they can do it in three months. And so that type of magnitude of a change you're always looking for differentiation. So, so whatever whatever you do, right? It doesn't have to be this crazy um, high tech technology. Whatever you do, you're looking for differentiation. And I think that in high competitive markets, it's not that it has to be the the next Google Cloud, right? Although we, I would argue that we're we're creating something a little bit better. I'm going to say that a little bit lower. We're creating something a little bit better. Uh, I would say that you have to focus whatever your niche is. Focus on that differentiation, and that will help you get there. Don't be shy. Oh. So, question on culture. So, as you're building out the company, you know, a lot of founders get uh, worried that they're going to lose control or that the culture of the organization is going to go sideways. What's your view on that? How would you approach maintaining the culture that you sought out? You and me both. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think um, part of it is how you hire, right? Um, a lot of people believe that I have to hire fast or I can't hire at all. I think that, you know, I think today you should be looking at the people around. You should be seeing who has a similar, a similar or a competing mindset that challenges you in a good way, right? You don't want to surround yourself with the same mindset. From a culture perspective, um, you want to have values, right? And your values as a founder should inspire others. It should attract others. And so very naturally, you should see that it's not that the, the person that you are is reflected in others, it's that the character, the values that you have are reflected in others. And my go-to is, as long as you, you have that at the early stage, you're going to be okay. Um, just this week, we started to reduce to, to, to writing what our company's values are. And it's interesting to see how people interpret um, behavior. And so one of, my, one of my guys said, Christopher, what I've learned from you is that if I put the product first, then I'm okay. And he doesn't recognize that the reason that I've spent 40% you know, of my time here recently, that's a, long, that's a lot for a founder. Uh, I've spent two weeks, 40% of my time with this person on product because that's his position. Um, because I actually believe that you should put people first, right? 
And so even though I have to help him translate what that means in this early days, I think that you will, as long as you do two things, which is surround yourself with, with great people, and you showcase what your values are to people, in the end, you'll be okay. Thank you to that. Um, in a competitive market for people, how do you attract people to your company as opposed to the guy down the street who's also hiring? In fact, the... You lie, you steal, you cheat, you do whatever you can to make it happen. No, no, I, I really don't believe that, but sorry. Um, so what you're talking about is recruiting. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you're doing anything valuable, you're going to have a lot of competition, right? I think that everybody brings something different to the table. Who in here has heard about Aristotle's rhetoric? Rhetoric. Ethos, pathos, logos. Check it out. It's it's a million years old. <laughs> but the the idea is that you know, pathos is the appeal to emotion. If you're an emotional person and you know how to get people fired up, use that. That's what's going to get you there. Ethos. Um, if you haven't recognized, I I started off. Mariah started off with introducing all the people who are on my board. Right? Who am I? Who am I connected to? I use ethos in just about every every part of my engagements, right? Um, logos is the appeal to logic, and if you just have a darn good idea, use it, right? People will be attracted to that. So I think that there's the what and the how, right? Um, for me, I think that thought leadership means everything. If, if I can lead with thought leadership, if I can show you a potential new way of doing something, then I believe it's going to attract an ecosystem. And, and so far, I've been able to um, attract one hell of an ecosystem. And so I think that what you as a founder have to do is say, you know, why do people want to work with me? And then figure out, okay, what's what's the biggest passion point that I bring? Is it is it the people? Is it is it the, the technology or the product? Or is it is it just that I'm such a passionate person, people like to be around me and lead with that. Lead with your natural capability, intuition to bring impact to people and hone on it and People will come. Not just pay. What's that? Not just pay. Not just oh, pay is the you're you're you lost. <laughs> you lost. Fair enough. Yeah. So startups often begin with, with the idea of the vision. In, in your experience, how have you seen the pie get divided up? Where you have a case where one guy has the idea of the vision and he has to quickly build a team. He's got basically none of the expertise or tools to make it happen. Um, so I'm a founder, not an investor, but I will say this, that I've mentored a lot of people in this area, and I think that oftentimes when you're creating something, you, you, you're thinking, I want to hold on to as much as possible. And it's very easy, guys, it is very easy to have 100% of nothing at all. <laughs> it is very easy, and I've, I've tried to coach other founders on this. So there's, a, there's some pretty good spreadsheets out there. If you go search for um, you know, equity split or those types of tools, it'll, it'll help you to, to rank who's bringing what to the table, right? Who's bringing the expertise? If you have a 
a, a person that's doing the technology piece and they're a co-founder and they're basically doing all that hard type of engineering work, you have to ask yourself, how early am I, right? Have I not gotten a lick of investment yet? Have I? If that hasn't happened, then you want to share with that person, right? If you've if you've bought together an ecosystem, you have you know investors chomping at the bit and they're just waiting to see product, which is possible in in this ecosystem, then you have to say, okay, well, look, I got a hundred people who could do this. Who am I going to give this to? So it's very you know you are a market, right? You are always putting out your best capability, and you have to figure out what is the right split. For me, I I, I actually focus on giving. So I focus on finding the people who care about my technology so much, and they don't know this, by the way, that I'm, I'm looking at, yeah, well, which is great. Hope they hear it. <laughs> I'm looking to give everybody who contributes a baseline impact to this company, and, and we're moving just slightly past the point where we can do this, but I'm looking to give that 5% to anyone who can do that. I've offered, I've offered potential co-founders 20% at times, but you know, meeting the bill right in a, in a very competitive industry is not easy. So, to me, I think the best thing that founders can do is you know leverage your leverage your equity to the best of your ability because you know in these agreements there's what four, one year cliff with you know that that happening over three additional years for for them to gain the full percentage of your company. So worry less about the equity. Allow people to come in, prove themselves, and create something great. Uh, you talked about the first person you brought in, so what were you looking for at the time, and uh, where you looked Sure. It's a good question. So, if I haven't said it already, I'm kind of a technologist, you know. And um, actually, a lot of my background, um, you know, Carnegie Mellon for most of my master's, um, prior to that, um, you know, business and technology degrees from, um, you know, Louisiana State University. And so what I recognized very early was that if this idea was going to succeed, I would have to be the technical CEO. Uh, this is a, a concept by Andresen and Horowitz, and they, they believe in it uh, pretty vehemently. I subscribe to it. I don't know why. So I bought in, um, I bought in um, a software engineer and someone who I respected uh, just about more than myself. Uh, I'll say his name, Dr. D'Antoy. Um, he's he's just um, I knew that whatever I could imagine he could he could he could write, and I knew that in order for us to be successful, that I was going to have to bring that to the top places and focus on bringing the biggest impact. So uh, for me, I knew that in the first year or the first the first thing that I had to do was make sure that I built a differentiated product impact, and even though I could write that myself. I'm a little proud of that. Sorry, guys. Um, he could do it. He could do it at a much better pace. He could spend. He could focus on it. He could spend a lot more time with it, and he would probably write better code. And so, so I knew that for my market, right? That's what was going to differentiate. And so I would, I would argue, what you want to do? Who's heard of the Amazon Working Backwards document? All right, look it up. I think it's, I think it's out there. Um, and so I see Mariah over here right up. But the point is, is that you want to start with the story, right? I knew that if I could tell people that I could get you, instead of getting there in 10 years, I could get you there in three months and prove it to you, that no one would be able to stop me. And so far, um, that's true. Go ahead. 
Um, he was more passionate, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this is a very good question. Um, please, I think this is this is subscribe to his 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 thought process. So the question is really around, you know, at what rate do you bring on advisors, and and how do you how do you do that effectively? So I actually created my technical advisory board first because I wanted to make sure at any time I could say that my my technology was amazing. Until this day, I've sent equity offers to half of these guys. I don't know what, what they don't get, but they're so they're so passionate about the technology they don't even want to take it, uh, which is surprising. Some of them have, but others, um, you know, they care so much about again me and the technology. My business advisory board is completely different, right? Um, I focus that on sheer market impact capability. Who do you have the ability to make a dip with? I've talked about some of the people we've had. We've had the senior, uh, the senior vice president for marketing at Adobe on our board at times. Um, we've had, I mean, just some some truly influential people. So I'm a little bit of a, I'm going to call it an ethos um, focused person. <laughs> Excuse me, um, where I believe that I know that what I'm creating is the best thing, and what I really have to focus on is ensuring that the people that I'm bringing onto my board can impact the ecosystem in the area for which I need them to. So I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what is my strategic weakness as an organization? And you really have to focus it on, what is this person gonna bring to the table? So my first person was probably uh, someone who was focused on product market fit, that's always important. Second person was investment. They, they knew how to uh, penetrate the investment market and everything after that was just complimenting. Of what we were doing. How do you define what your advisory board role is? Go on. What, what do you mean by that question? What is it that you expect from them, and how do they sync up with that in terms of when you're recruiting them? Um, and how does that work out in practice that they're actually fulfilling the role that you want them to play? It's a big question. It's a big question, and I'm, st I'm getting better at this every quarter, to be quite honest. Um, who's heard of the FAST agreement? What? The FAST agreement, F-A-S-T. It's the Founder Advisor Standard Template. It was created by Founder Institute, one of the best tools that are out there for recruiting advisors. Um, I gave a talk at Stanford about, about a month ago, and I talked about how equity is the number one tool that you can use to impact your business, right? I mean, we know that already, but the point being is that it, advisors is key. So in order to structure that, the, the, the template actually talks about the time commitment that it's going to have. It talks about the actual impact that they're expected to bring. And what I do is, based on the actual advisor I'm bringing on, I determine whether or not they're genuinely going to be actively participating or they're so time constrained that I need to set up bi-weekly bi meetings with them to keep them on track. I personally create three key objectives that they have to obtain at the end of the quarter, and I negotiate this with them. I say, for example, if we're, we're looking at doing some things on, um, on product marketing, and so we had to really find a way to 
to enter into the market with our product and do it in an effective way. So I, again, I bought on um, a, a pretty um, amazing founder, Lou Canise, and I gave him I gave him three objectives. I said at the end of the quarter, we need to be able to account for how we get out to market. We need to be able to account for account for how we position it, and we need to be able to uh, launch into specific communities with uh, with our product. And he agreed to it, right? And so, so I think that what the fast system do is give you that kind of template for ensuring that your advisors are, are meeting a specific objective. But when I look at you know how unwieldy advisors can be, I find that um, getting them to agree ahead of time what you're going to do over a specific quarter and getting I, I make them sign that, right? And I, I recently let go of an advisor because not because he wasn't the best, one of the best advisors you could ask for, but because he wasn't meeting that bill. And so I think it's very important to to manage that. What does FAST stand for? Uh, the Founder Advisor Standards Template. And so it's a it's a very good tool. Boom. <laughs> so let's do something new. Whenever you whenever you raise your hand, go ahead and introduce yourself and say say one thing. That's um, that you're looking at as a founder or potential startup related. So, what's your name? My name's Adam. And what's one thing that you're excited about in the startup market? Spotlights on me. Spotlights on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just interested in how people are leveraging mobile. Uh, okay. That's a as a product manager, it's really fascinating to me. Um, as like an anti, I'm like an anti mobile person right now. I'm trying to focus more. I'm doing less. Okay. Okay. Right. So there's a real interesting dichotomy of how developers and product folks are utilizing phone as a data point for interaction. Okay. So simple. What's the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I ever received was actually at the Founder Institute. I'm kidding. I'm advice I've ever received. That's a difficult one. Wow, that's Maybe a really past few years. Yeah. Um, I think the worst advice I generally receive is is tell is advice that tells me how to do my business, right? So again, you know, what we're doing is a little it's it's kind of not a startup. And so if you go to an investor and you say, look, this is what I'm doing, they're like, okay, you need to go target these very small companies. And I say, no, no, no. We're going after the big ones, and they're like, okay, I don't know how you're going to survive. And I say, I don't know how we're going to do it either, but we did it, right? Um, so I think the, the worst advice that I receive is telling me who my customer audience is. So just, if you haven't picked up yet, um, I spent a lot of time in enterprise. So as, as a part of who I am, I know, unfortunately, these really big customers. I know the impact that they need. I know the struggles they go through. So for me, um, I've had to reverse engineer that process. So whenever someone tries to tell me to um, go sell to a, a you know a, a small firm or something like that, I just know we're headed in the wrong direction. So I would say that that's been the worst advice. Wide enough to break government use cases. That's kind of what I'm interested in. 
So, uh, you know, you operate uh, your company out of, you know, one of the most expensive areas in the world. Right? So, you know, the question is, you know, why operate there when you could go to, you know, place like Sacramento or to Louisiana, especially with the, you know, connectivity and virtual working uh, available now? So I think it's a good question from two perspectives. I think anyone should ask themselves the question first, where is it that I'm making the impact is my customer gonna be most populous, right? And for me, obviously, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of technology in Silicon Valley, and so I think that my customers are actually my biggest customers, right? Are actually in Houston Energy, um, in New York Banking, and High Tech, which is the Apples, the Facebooks, the Google. Um, I know that the most critical of those, or the most critiquing of those, are going to be those big high-tech companies. Um, and so, so for me personally, um, the first thing is that my biggest customer that I have to change is right here. Right. Um, the second thing is, this is an equity economy. I can't. Do you, have you guys heard some of the names that I've mentioned? I mean, these are some of the top leaders. Um, in our ecosystem, and I think that you know it's been difficult. If you go anywhere else, if you're on Wall Street, right, you're not going to go up to someone and say, "I'll give you, you know, um, 0.1 percent of equity <laughs> to, to to come up alongside my startup." And so, I think for me, um, recognizing the the true economies of scale of equity as a as a as a societal norm. Um, it, to me, is the differentiating thing about Silicon Valley. There's also, there's a, a book, The Geography of Jobs, by a UC Berkeley professor that says if you're in an industry that requires certain kinds of talent, you have to go where that talent is, and it's going to be expensive. That's just a fact of life. I, I, I generally agree with that. You have to have a point of presence in the place that you're going to need to do the most recruiting, but you always live close to your customers. That's the most important thing. They got more questions than you guys. Come on with that. <laughs> All right, over here. Hey, uh, I'm Brady. Uh, I'm interested in uh, brand strategy and uh, brand identities. Uh, we talked about uh, securing we've talked about securing investors, uh, but I want to know about how you go about securing clients. You've already differentiated yourself, you've got the products you believe in, you've got the staff, you've got the investors, but you haven't worked with anyone yet. If you're positioning yourself to say like a B2B uh, company and you have a product, how do you get that first client? How do you get someone to you know, take that guy and trust you and you know you can you can improve your product, they can get a benefit out of it and you build it. What, what do you do before you're sitting down with IBM? Yeah, and, and just to be clear, IBM has come to us for partnership. Um, we actually, let's just say that um, we focus on industry customers first, and so we haven't driven them to a full customer relationship. I just want to clarify that for the record. <laughs> um, but, but, but to your point, um, so there's two schools of thoughts on this, right? There's anyone who comes from a sales-driven background, right, will tell you, Relationship first, make the make the sale, and obviously you've done some level of customer development and product to get there. Um, 
I'm of the school of thought of, so the other school of thought is a very kind of growth marketing school of thought. And it's, of course, obviously the idea of, you know, cast a wide net, figure out who has the biggest pain point, pull them in and make the impact. I think either of those work. I think that what you're going to find differentiates about all of those is your ability to develop a rapport and relationship with a specific person. So the first thing you do in the Founder Institute is come up with your, um, with essentially your one-liner, right? And in that one-liner, you learn that you, you're focusing yourself on a specific person, right? Your company does not impact other companies. Your company impacts a specific person in a specific part of a specific company. For me, that's Fortune 500 IT managers, right? And so the point being is that develop relationships if you don't already have them, which should be a rarity if you're doing a B2B startup, um, develop relationships with, with those people because, you know, my, one of my first biggest customers um, came through maybe a year and a half after I started to engage them, and I have a very personal relationship with them, right? So I would say that I'm really focusing on who who is your, your customer and develop, go where they are, right? If you're a customer startups, you're in the perfect place, right? Um, but go to where your customers are, and you'll be able to drive that impact. Thank you. Uh, my name is Graham, and I guess uh, from a tech perspective, I'm interested to see how blockchain can get into the real estate industry. Uh, aside from that, I have a very practical question. So when you're starting out, do you how much value do you put on having a dedicated office space uh, when you're first starting out your um, startup? Let's say you have you know, three employees. Um, I have my, my opinions on it, but I'm just curious. As how how much runway do you, how much, how much runway is a part of this company? Uh, some other company that we're not talking about. Is it three months? Is it three months? Is it twelve months? I would say that. So I would, I would say that um, that depends highly on the level of collaboration needed and the cost of the of the space. I mean, um, I just came from a co-working space. I can't imagine it's more than several hundred, you know, a month, um, maybe a thousand a month. The point being is that if that's sub ten percent of your runway. Well, it's important. If that's 50% of your runway, it's not important. You know, it's like, come to how to tell you, develop a relationship and, and make that happen, you know. So I think there's some tools. There's some tools, obviously, you know, um, and I'm trying to figure out in this ecosystem where you might go. But there's some companies who will allow you to um, use their excess space for equity. I've seen, I've heard and seen that. Haven't pulled it off yet, but... Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard and seen companies who have. I just haven't tried, really tried. Um, I would say that, you know, if you've heard of the, the kind of global virtual teams, finding ways to be better at remote remote work, um, I think that's, that's, that's probably going to be important if that's a struggle. Um, so I would say that, you know, for me, in my company building, I haven't, I probably didn't have um, a dedicated workspace for two and a half years, um, and we made it happen. So, you know, I would say that as le level of importance. Well, yeah, we got together. Probably, I, honestly, I'm surprised to say this. Sorry, once every three months, we were probably in person. Wow. Um, 
true? Is that possible? <laughs> but, you know, um, we were able to, I, we had a consistent meeting. Um, you know, this was twice a week early on, and everything else was just, you know, GVT, Global Virtual Team. So I think that uh, it worked well. Uh, in the earlier stages of the business, so more of like the, the seed funding rounds, did you find yourself building a team of founders or advisors before like seeking capital? So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm generally a sole founder. There are other people that I consider co-founders, um, but they are, they are probably one to two percent away from being labeled as such. Uh, <laughs> and so I would say that um, to your question, you didn't say you didn't say what was your passion area. Oh, that's true. I was excited for the question. My name's Simon. Okay. Uh, I'm really excited about connecting people. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so let's talk about seed, like raising seed capital, right? Um, raising seed capital is is an area where you have to first first you you've done a friends and family round. Has that right. has that occurred? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking we're talking in the half a mil to two million dollar range is what we're talking. Uh yeah. yeah. Let's say that we're at closer to quarter to half a mil. Okay. The point is is that that level of impact, so first you've already created a product, you've already, you know, done some cool things. Founders mean very little from that regard, right? So so it also matters on what type of play are you, right? Um, the reason that I surround myself with all these great people is because, quite honestly, I'm a team play. I know it's going to take ten million dollars to fully build out myself. Don't tell my customer this. It's going to take, take ten million dollars to, to fully build out my software, and so I'm purely, I'm, I'm actually a team play, and I've been able to do, do a lot with the, with very little, um, and I'm just, I'm just resilient that way, right? Right. Um, so I would say that it's going to be much more about a. If you have product and customer to showcase, if you're a, if you're a traction play, then bringing on founders really mean nothing. Yeah. Your dial will speak for yourself. Focus on the advisors. Um, if you're a, you know, um, you're just a you're just a darn good pitch, right? There's some people out there who just are darn good pitches. Then again, um, advisors are probably going to be you're still going to be more of that kind of umbrella. And if you're doing something that's just so crazy, you need you know. To a lot of money to make it happen, I would I would say that again it's more of a team play. So the people you surround yourself with. Is more. funny because um, I um, I didn't use any of that um, but so I, I did Founder Institute to be quite frank right and as I peel back Founder Institute a little bit it's very to me it's very much kind of the lean business startup model right um, but it's funny to to you know be hearing some of the concepts that are there and say oh you know I kind of got that through FI right I didn't really need to learn that on my own I just kind of did it right which uh, may speak more to the program, but I think I think part of your question is is you know do I need to have a a full-on business plan before I start? And I would I would argue that is the antithesis of a successful startup, right? Um, the idea that you have it all planned out is like a fallacy, right? 
So um, we were we were just talking about this. Um, Where's my guy? Uh, he's not here. Cool hat. We'll see him soon. Um, we. The first thing you have to do is make an extremely educated hypothesis about what your customer wants. And if you're not validating that with data, if, if you're not doing, you know, objective questions that get you or putting objective product in front and getting to a place that allows them to say yay or nay, because you, it's not just about solving their problem, it's about solving their problem in the way that they want it to be solved, right? Um, then you're not going to be successful. So I would say totally go lean, right? Um, totally put a prototype or something in front of them that they can validate or invalidate and get them to write it down, right? Um, one of the best things you can do early on is LOI this thing out, and we don't really recognize we're doing that when someone sign, puts their name on a piece of paper and say, I would spend you know, 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever that number is based on the product. Um, that is enough advice to go and build a team, right? That's enough advice to go and get investment. Um, and, and so that is, that is what you're really focused on is, is as a startup, you are an engine of product market fit. And the best way to get that is to have a, de excuse me, a really good product uh, that brings a really good uh, market fit. I'm not a Deo. Where's, where's Mariah? She's, she's gone. I'm not a Deo, so I don't get to do all these swear words all the time. You know, I just I have to be. I have to be a little bit. He, he gets you into that mode. It's like, just give it to real. It's like, all right, I'm gonna bring it back in. <laughs> so we've got maybe five more minutes. Last right. questions. Hey, so Paul Sanders, um, I like making uh, sales outreach as efficient as possible. Uh, my question to you is, how did you get um, press attention early on? So I, I again just got covered. Has, has anyone kind of did I say did I spot this off already? So so okay yeah okay good because I like to do that right. Uh, <laughs> but um so if you say early on, meaning right now, I consider myself having been in business for three years, right? So I don't consider this early on. Oh, not at all. And I don't, How did you get the time to cover you? So, so I actually was forced into a press release. Um, my customer came to me and said, "We want to do a press release with you on this." And I said, "I said, okay, but that's gonna. I don't do things small. If you haven't realized." And so I bought on um, a really, a really good PR firm. I'm gonna say their name because I love them so much, Comstrat. Um, and they had a great piece of news, which. This company, um, unfortunately, this Fortune 5 company just had to go to Barker with us on it, and I got lucky. So I would say, going back to that working backwards document, focus on the story, focus on the impact that you're bringing, and eventually people, Intel, I don't understand this, and I'm going to say it out loud, Intel came to me about, you know, three months ago, and they said, Christopher, we want to be on your website, and I'm like, well, why do you want to be on my website, and I'm like, Okay, but we're working on bringing together this impact. They're like, yeah, but we want you to put us on your website. And I'm like, but why do you want to put me on your website? And so anyway, the point is, is that if you're creating really good impacts, people are going to want to be a part of that. And I'm still trying to figure out why do they want to be on the website. Anyway, just just be good. Just be good. Question over here. Cool. Uh, if you're working on an idea that involves intellectual property, how far do you get into the design? 
you're working on a on an idea. Yeah, so it's not it's, you're not in implementation phase. You're just kind of in this design phase. But how far do you get into that before you say, okay, I'm gonna plow that? Yeah. Um, this is an area. So the font um, Adeo. I don't know if he's changed his philosophy. And I'm gonna try to mince around this a bit. He basically believes that. Um, patents early on are instruction manuals for every other country. Um, and so, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, so point is, is that um, I, as much technology as I have, I've been, up until this point, very conservative about how I go after patents. Patents are super expensive. Um, so I would say you go all the way. Most of the time in this game, it's an execution game. So if you're spending one month, two months, three months on patents, you're generally dead in my personal view of it as well. So I would say, you know, take a hold of the provisional. Provisionals are super easy. But do that when you have enough either traction from, from your market that I had a founder come up to me at like a $100 million company was like, Dude, I've been trying to do that for like 12 months, and I was like, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's time to get a provisional, right? So that's, you know, I had done the product already. Uh, it was designed, it was executed, it was it was able to be demonstrated, right? Um, so that's when I knew it was time to do it. What protection is a provisional given? Uh, very minimal. It's kind of like a date timestamp. But the point is that if you put if you put that date timestamp in place, you get to go put that out enough to validate your customer fit, right? And I think that if you're good, so it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, if you're good, you can basically do that in an eight-month time frame. And if you're seeing that there's enough, go all the way. If you're not, you know, move on. And one last question. Anybody who hasn't asked a question yet? Anybody want to give you a chance? Question over here. Hey, I'm Jay. Um, I'm interested in colonizing Mars. <laughs> uh, I want to know, uh, Christopher, what inspires you? That's a big question. Um, so, um, I am actually a very faith-based person. So, you'll recognize me most by how I love others. And that's the, if you understand my faith, then you'll understand where I'm coming from. Um, but I think the inspiration comes from initially, right? It comes from, um, I was a kid in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was one of the youngest Cisco certified networking associates at the age of 16 years old. I technically accomplished my career dreams at 22, which was to be a Linux engineer. And I said, well, what next? And so I think what drives me is a, the idea that I get to impact people. Um, I believe that there's far too many people who are far too capable to, to not be able to bring their best selves to the table and make a great impact. And I think that I care about my industry. I think that there's a lot of crappy technologists out there. And I can't have them create a future for which I believe we have a capability and technology to change the world. And we don't do that. So I'm, I'm after saving my industry and creating an impact. Thank you.